Hi, I'm Cindy Schwartz, one of the co-founders of Attentive Teaching. Welcome to our second conversation about critical race theory. Today, we expand the conversation to include First Amendment rights and the proposed Florida state law, the Parental Rights Bill, that is uh, recently and has been recently passed by their legislation and is set to be signed by Governor DeSantis. We'll see how all of these are intimately connected to the CRT controversy. We have our attentive teaching team with us today, our co-founders, please raise your hand, uh, Lori Ballon and Roxy Lori, and our board member, Carol Vogt, and we have teacher mentor, Karen Bracco, as well as the voice of the future, our psychology student and social media specialist, Jacob Klein. Well, we'll go around the room uh, very quickly and we'll have everyone give a uh, one sentence or so introduction to who they are and why they're here. And uh, then we'll dive in. Welcome everybody. All right, Cordelia, we could start with you. All right. Good morning, everyone. My name is Cordelia Anthony. I am a high school science teacher at Farmingdale High School and I'm the local teacher union president there. Nice to be here. Excellent, thank you for being here. Uh, Perry. Good morning, everyone. My name is Perry Fuchs. I am also a high school science teacher, and I am also the local president of our teachers union where I work. Thank you, Perry, for being here as well. Nakia. Good morning, everyone. Nakia Wolf. I am a teacher in the Amityville Union Free School District. I teach uh, elementary math uh, intervention services, and I am also the local president uh, for the Amityville Union Free School District. Wonderful, wonderful to have all of you. And Joanna. Good morning, thanks so much for having me. I'm Joanna Miller. I am the director of the Education Policy Center at the ACLU of New York. Thank you, Joanna, for joining us. Roxy? Um, okay, so uh, we wanted to start today's session with you, Joanna, <laughs> because we wanted to focus um, and expand our discussion um, on CRT uh, as, as to the parental rights in education legislation due to become a law in Florida. Um, this is already becoming a template for uh, other states to follow as, as, as we know. And um, I'm sure we would all be interested to hear what concerns you uh, about the application of this proposed law and, um, and also, if, if, if asked um, how you would re represent teachers um, in the event that they were brought in front of their boards of education um, in violation of these laws. Yeah, thank you so much for, for having me and to talk about this. Um, uh, this bill is part of a nationwide backlash that we're seeing to um, what has been a recent period of really expanding acknowledgement of the various identities that kids and families bring into a school building and educators bring into the school building. Um, and the backlash, this is not um, new in American history. This is something we've seen many times before. Um, and if you've been talking about CRT, I'm sure you've already talked about this, but a, a really salient example um, would be that all of those Confederate monuments that we've been talking about over the past few years that are coming down most of those were put up um, during, after reconstruction and during the civil rights movement. So they weren't actually contemporaneous monuments, but they were part of a backlash of the expansion of rights as well. So this is a very um, common kind of pattern or theme that we've seen in American history. That doesn't make it any less scary. Um, I think particularly we're talking about LGBT kids, um, you know, mental health issues are very high. Suicide rates are very high. Um, for these children. And so putting that extra isolation or pressure on them to become more isolated, um, even when they may be coming from a family background where they're really not safe and school has been the place where they could be safe, now taking that away is really dangerous and really scary. So I think the scariest thing about it, the thing that worries us the most is really for the kids. Um, and what they're experiencing, literally, are they going to be safe um, in schools like this? In the past couple of years with the huge backlash to teaching diversity and quote unquote CRT, which is really a boogeyman that doesn't really exist the way that people think it does. Um, but even in New York, as a result of that, we have seen 
a humongous uptick in racial discrimination, harassment, and bullying of kids. Things that um, I've been doing this work for almost 15 years. I actually helped to draft New York State's anti-bullying law, and I have never had so many complaints as I've had in the past maybe six to nine months about racist bullying and discrimination against kids. So that door is open. Then you pass a bill like this in Florida, that door becomes open as well. It's adults normalizing really insidious behavior for kids. Um, another thing that we're very concerned about is that this bill actually has this language that prohibits quote unquote third parties from teaching or discussing sexual orientation or gender identity. So it's not just educators and it's not just students, but it actually could be counselors. Um, it could be anyone else who comes into the school building, including like a parent volunteer or PTA president who might themselves be a member of the LGBTQ community. They're not even allowed to discuss. And that word discussion, of course, is also really dangerous because it's incredibly vague. So that's a great transition to what I would do if I got a phone call from a teacher about this bill. The First Amendment um, gives us a lot of tools when we talk about um, the concept of vagueness. So you can't ban speech in a way that is too vague for anyone to understand what is actually banned because then you get to a situation where it just depends on what judge is hearing your case about whether your expression is banned or not, or it depends on who's enforcing that law against you. And the First Amendment doesn't allow that. So vagueness is essentially poison, um, First Amendment poison to a law like this. And I would argue that this law is overly vague um, in the sense that there is no adequate definition of um, conduct that is banned um, and that it's overbroad. It really is overbroad to the point that like if a child raises their hand and asks a question that isn't part of your lesson plan, are you not allowed to answer it? Are you not allowed to even acknowledge them? That is considered vagueness and overbreath in the First Amendment context. And I think that's what makes would make this law subject to a legal challenge. Mm -hmm. Joanna, I wanted to bounce off of what you were saying earlier on in terms of uh, access to counselors and schools being like a safe place for kids. There's uh, lines 67 through 78 of the law. Uh, I'll just like read a blurb of it, but it's essentially talking about uh, the required notification of parents if the, if the kid see, seeks help in school. Um, in accordance with the rights of parents, uh, um, dot, 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 adopt procedures for notifying a student's parent if there is a change in the student's services or monitoring related to the student's mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being and the school's ability to provide a safe and supportive learning environment for the student. The procedures must reinforce the fundamental right of parents to make decisions regarding the upbringing and control of their children by requiring the school district personnel to encourage a student to discuss issues relating to his or her well-being with his or her parent or to facilitate discussion of the issue with the parent. So if the child is in a hostile situation at home, it's basically giving the kid no place to go. And it provides backlash for the student if they do try to seek help within the institution, because there's no way they're not gonna get backlash from their parent if that's what they came to them for. Yeah, I mean, it's quite the opposite of what the research tells us about marginalized kids and particularly kids who are coming out or thinking about coming out or even just having questions and ideas about their sexuality um, that if they're in an abusive situation and they seek an adult, everything tells us having an adult that reflects their experience in the school, having an adult, they can see that identification where you see someone who um, has been through an experience that you're going through goes so far to keeping those kids safe. Um, and then even just having an adult, a trusted adult in the school in general, really big picture, the research on school safety, on school, even just at the level of like disruption goes down as kids start to feel like one adult in the building at least knows me and knows what I'm going through. So the more that you start to sever that lifeline, it has ripple effects across everything, literally to the level of like classroom management all the way up to those um, kids and, and a huge proportion of LGBT uh, youth are runaways, a giant you know, percentage of homeless youth in New York and elsewhere are gay kids who have nowhere to go, like you said. So anything that severs that lifeline is really going in the wrong direction. Um, and actually it's very different. This is an, an example of a way that I think New York is actually kind of 
moving more in the right direction because a lot of um, school districts actually have policies that re require them to keep that information confidential if a kid is um, seeking you know, any kind of like advice or help in school. Obviously, if you're a licensed social worker or psychologist, you have your own set of ethical rules that prohibits you from discussing that with the parent. But in New York, we even have laws that allow young people to make healthcare decisions without permission from their parent. They can get treatment for all sorts of things, including sexual health and reproductive health treatment without permission from their parent. And this is exactly why, because it would not be available to many young people because of their circumstances. So in New York, we actually have laws that kind of pull us in the other direction um, from what Florida is. We have some work to do, but at least we're on the sort of moving to the other side of this um, issue, but it's a really good point. Yeah, I, I wonder um, from the teachers that we have here, cause I'm retired, so I'm not in school anymore. Um, which way, you, what, what, what are you seeing? Are you seeing any of this going on, um, you know, Cordelia or Perry or uh, any of you? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to tell uh, at the elementary level. I believe this law in Florida is geared towards younger children, I, I believe, right? Is, is geared it's more a, towards- it's, K, it's K through three, but, right. but, but it does say that above third grade, that you cannot, um, you, it has to be age appropriate. And as, as Joanna said, it's very vague. Developmentally and age appropriate as to what kind of conversation you can have as an educator with a child about LGBTQ uh, issues. So what is age appropriate? It's, it's immensely vague. Yeah, go ahead, Perry. So I, so, so, um, I would agree with Joanna um, that in New York, we definitely seem to be moving in the opposite direction, at least in, in the school district where I work, um, the, the children, are certainly given the rights to express themselves and, and however they feel is appropriate and conversations are encouraged. Um, we have a, a very prominent LGBTQ club in the high school with lots of members and they do lots of activities and they're well received by the community and they're well received by um, the, the parents and the kids and the students. So I couldn't agree more that in New York, we seem to be moving in the opposite direction as far as moving. Uh, I have to agree as well. I think um, I, I work in a high school also, but I know in my district, there's um, a GSA club in both the middle school and the high school. Um, you know, we had students as early as elementary, uh, you know, realizing they weren't in the right bodies and asking to go to different bathrooms. Like this, this is things that have been happening for a while. And I'm sure it wasn't comfortable for everyone initially, but their children, that they're what we're there to do, and we're there to help. And of course, it's so weird, as we mentioned, the terminology of this bill, because of course, you know, parents are vital as a part of all of the stakeholders involved in serving these students. But when they express something, we have to listen to them, because as Joanna said, when they're not listened to, and bullying is, you know, is not stopped in that group of people, they tend to have a higher suicide rate and we've seen it you know, in schools all over the country. So I think it's unfortunate what's starting there in Florida um, will stifle you know, kids um, from starting to not, I hate using the word tolerant, but to start to understand that there are kids in their age group that don't feel the same as they do because you know, when you start school is when you start seeing most of those gender differences and when you can't express that because you're not gonna be allowed to or conversation is not gonna be allowed to happen, it's gonna be problematic for them. I think what's scary is that this seems to be like a broader assault on mental health as well is part of the bill. Um, I'm not gonna read through the, the lines here, uh, 106 through 118, but it essentially gives the parents the right to um, prohibit like literally opt out their kids from being able to see like health or counseling services which is pretty pretty mortifying to say the least that a, a child in, in a crisis is literally uh being taken health uh of, you know resources away from them in their one place of refuge right so i think this is also just uh, a, a larger kind of uh an attempt to uh, to of this like wave of bigotry to associate like things like LGBTQ issues with mental health and then to just 
uh, it's not it's not like they want to provide these issues either. So they it's also a, an avenue for them to defund a lot of these counseling services that they do have in these schools as well. Yeah, I think what's most concerning, especially when you're talking about on the elementary level where it is at that stage where many um, of uh, students start to um, start to have a realization as to the fact that they are that they're feeling different um, and and to to rob them of that actual uh, experience of being able to have somebody who they can speak to, I think speaks to a bigger problem. Um, that problem uh, similar to um, all of the voter rights suppression bills that are going on, um, bringing politics into the educational system where it is that you'll, that, that, that will give people the opportunity to learn a la carte, right? So yes, you can learn this, but no, you can't learn that. Um, if I'm not comfortable with this, then we can't do that. Um, yes, I can you know, advocate for bullying programs to be there for my students, but I don't want anybody to talk about being gay because it's not age appropriate. Um, I think that we're, we're coming into dangerous territory because like Florida being the first, once you start to have other states that follow suit, um, you know, it goes back to what it is that we discussed last time, which is the deconstruction of the public education system um, and what that's going to look like. Is it going to be a reflection of whatever politics, um, whatever political argument is, is, is at play at the moment? Or are we really supposed to be in the business of educating um, kids from a, uh, a wide, from a wide view, uh, making sure that we have that same diversity that America is touted for, um, which has been excluded from our um, educational history, at least in our generations and even that of um, the kids who are in school right now. So um, that is really what is the, the most concerning as far as um, you know, I feel. It also goes, going off of what you said, it's, it's, not, it's not just political, but I imagine that there's a religious undercurrent to it as well, where this is not a choice. You know, I mean, sexuality is sometimes something that you're you're born with. That you know, if a child doesn't feel like they're in the wrong, you know, feels like they're in the wrong body, or if they feel attracted to, you know, one sex more than the other, or they they're starting to have that, you know, that noticing. That's that's not a choice. And what these bills, this bill kind of assumes is that, I don't know. It seems to be like if we don't talk about it, we can kind of pray it away. I, I, I don't know. Um, but that's, that's what worries me too, that it, it, it doesn't acknowledge that, you know, for, for a lot of children, this is something that they're starting to recognize about themselves and they have not chosen it. They're just realizing that this is who they are, you know, and that if we don't talk about it, then you won't know about it and you won't be it. it it's, you know, that's troubling. And, and what message are you sending to anybody in that respect? Right. And the suppression of these identities, just it, it does just create the mental health issues that they want to suppress in the first place. Right. And so, like, if we just openly deal with, you know, these um, issues of expression, you know, it's, it's very s simple that uh, I mean, I'm not an, uh, a childhood educator that teaches about LGB LGBTQ issues, but the, the curriculum's out there and it's not as risque as people constantly make it out to be. I mean, I remember uh, when I was in sixth grade, I was forced to uh, go to a night where each parent and their, uh, their kid, uh, there was a boy's night and there was a girl's night. And they came, they, everybody came to school at like eight o'clock at night and they watched like a health screening video or whatever on genitalia or whatever. And so like, if we're able to do that, I, I think then we can talk about homosexual romance in a way that isn't risque and pornographic like uh, religious conservatives would make it out to be. And, uh, you know, it's, it's scary because it, this is part of their kind of broader mission to, like you were saying earlier, to tear apart our public education system because another part of the bill is that if a parent sues for, let's say, there's like a teacher that offhandedly mentions that uh, one of the books that like was really popular in the school was written by uh, a gay author. Um, and then the parent is like, how dare you idolize that, that gay author? And so I'm gonna sue the school. The school has to then pay for the lawyer fees 
of the prosecution against the school. And so this is another way to just hemorrhage school budgets in every way possible so that they have no you know, money for supplies to pay for teachers. Um, and then it, it, it leads to charter schools everywhere. And that's where a lot of the curriculum is completely controlled by you know, religious fanatics and the other like. Joanna, um, I, I'm wondering, um, does the ACLU, I mean, not just necessarily in New York, but just nationwide, what, ha what has been the ACLU's um, experience or sort of history with the issue of parental rights and schools? Um, it, how are they, from what, from what legal, whatever uh, stance, are they going to, constitutional kind of stance, are they going to be able to use to, uh, you know, to, to try to uh, deal with the issues that people have been raising here? This is a great question. Um, so legally, the, the legal concept, um, when you send your kids to school, um, the courts have recognized that the school is standing, and this is Latin, so excuse me, right? So the school is standing in for the parent um, when you send your child to school. And um, the Supreme Court has recognized some exceptions to that. There's been some good cases and some bad cases um, uh, throughout history. But in general, it's the, the, the courts are very deferential to educators. Um, judges very rarely will substitute their own judgment for that of an educator in making a decision about a school. So it's very rare um, that there's a circumstance where a parent can challenge a decision that's made um, in the regular course of education by an educator, um, you know, a, a, a judgment call or a decision where you have some discretion that a judge would say, I'm going to substitute my discretion for yours. That's extremely rare. So the concept of like parental rights, it sounds great. They love it, but actually it's pretty diminished in this space. Um, and actually the interesting thing is that the polling on this is not really great. Um, most parents support schools teaching topics that they don't want to talk about at home. So sex ed, for example, is a really good example. Sex ed polls so high across the country, conservative places, liberal places, um, and that's comprehensive sex education that includes discussion of sexual orientation um, and gender identity. Parents overwhelmingly want schools to teach sex ed because they don't wanna have to do it at home. That the idea that parents are offended and upset because their kid learned something in schools actually represents a very, very small minority of parents. Um, and actually I wanna pick up on, on something that you were saying earlier about um, the, the, the concept of public education, you know, the Supreme Court in a case last year actually wrote that uh, public schools are the nurseries of democracy. And it's a great um, quote to keep in mind as we have these conversations, because how do you prepare a generation of people to participate in a democracy and live in a pluralist society without an education that reflects any type of diversity at all, um, where they're not you know, meeting adults or other kids who have a different life than them. So public education is so essential for that reason. And the Supreme Court, at least last year's Supreme Court, um, recognize that in a case um, that was actually a case of free speech case, a student free speech case, um, where a student was suspended for posting something on her Snapchat. You might have heard discussion of that case, but um, the Supreme Court overturned the suspension and said, public schools are the nurseries of democracy. We can't teach democracy if we are able to reach into students' private lives and tell them you can get in trouble in school for anything you do on your private time. So it's a little bit different subject, but conceptually, I think a really important one. And so, yeah, I think that idea of parental rights is, um, is something that's really being exploited. Um, in New York, for example, there have been a lot of proposals put forward to like have parents be able to opt out of in particular sex ed. Sex ed happens to be uh, an area of expertise for me. So that's why I keep like, bringing it up. But I think it's very relevant um, that where parents could opt out of sex ed. And the state education department is like, please, no, like, A, it's not that's not pedagogically sound to have some kids learning lessons about their bodies and consent and healthy relationships and how to stay healthy and some kids not. But B, like just administratively, we are not gonna create a two-tiered system where every school has to decide what room every kid can go in for every lesson. Like that is just 
a very slippery slope and a nightmare for educators. So state education department in New York has really resisted those types of opt-outs and we hope that they'll toe the line on that um, in the future as well. The only thing that I've seen, I'm sorry, Carol, the only thing that I've seen an opt-out for in my career was um, in the city, we had the AIDS curriculum from K to 12 mm -hmm. and parents had the, you know, you and every grade was completely grade appropriate where, you know, transmission and anything like that was concerned. Um, and, but you would send a letter home the week before, let parents know that this was the curriculum that was going to be taught for the week. These were the lessons that were gonna be, um, that were gonna be presented. And the parents had the opportunity to opt out of any of the lessons. Um, having taught from one to five, I don't think I ever got an opt out letter from a parent for any of the lessons um, in the AIDS curric curriculum. And that's the only, the only one that I can think of where parents were actually ever given um, the chance to opt out and by and large, they didn't. And the, so. the HIV AIDS curriculum is a great example actually where educators really pushed to do a better job than the like larger public and particularly elected officials wanted us to do in New York. I mean, it was very controversial at the time. Now it's, it's required by state law that you teach HIV um, that, 20, 30 years ago was a huge controversy. So, and it was really educators who, who moved that, moved us forward on that. Uh, how, I'm thinking about a, a constitutional challenge that would come up where the ACLU would be protecting the, the right, you know, the, the mission of the school. Um, what if, I can see this in front of, you know, the current Supreme Court. What if, what if a lawyer from Florida was to say, uh, relating to the part of the bill that says that if a child goes to um, a counselor and talks about their sexuality and that the parent needs to be informed, okay? What if a child went to a counselor and said, um, I'm uh, really interested in the Proud Boys and Nazism and I am going to join that group, okay? And would and therefore the parent wants to know about that because that is a dangerous thing and certainly not anything that a parent might want a child to do. What what kind of response would an ACLU have? Where does that because that's what's going to happen. It's going to that's where it's going to go to. I mean, I, I can see the Florida lawyers taking that position. Well, okay, you don't want us to, uh, you know, you think we should, parents should be informed about some things, uh, but what about other things? You know what I'm, I mean? I'm, I'm really concerned about, I, I, I no longer uh, have the sense like this can't happen here. I believe this can happen here. So it's happening and, now. And I, I love the ACLU. I, I love the ACLU. I, I, I see the ACLU as somebody who can help me figure out how this will be dealt with and, and how these people won't, won't win. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, to, to sort of answer your question, I'll just say this. The Florida, I'm not an expert on Florida law, but this is what I know from preparing for this call and, and the other things that are going on in the ACLU. The, this Florida law is coming at a time when Florida lawmakers are revising their state school counseling standards. And the school counseling standards in Florida for at least 10 years have explicitly acknowledged um, sexual orientation diversity and gender identity diversity and, and have um, told, you know, informed counselors that how to relate to kids in those situations in a way that is supportive. Um, and so this bill is actually just in some ways like the first, it's like the tip of the iceberg because they will be revising the school counseling standards. And we think that they're gonna try to go after some of that language there. Now, if I was in, in Florida, what I would be trying to do is working with the School Counselors Association on those standards because those standards include confidentiality provisions. And this is where it comes back to your question. 
the confidentiality provisions are essential to the ethical standards of any type of counseling, school psychologist, anything like that. And that would extend to anything you talk about in therapy um, with the exception of, and this is standard across states and pretty much everywhere, if you if they think that you are going to hurt yourself or hurt someone else. So in that sense, I think if they were expressing, if a child was just saying, I'm curious about these, these questions and these issues, I'd like to learn more about being a Nazi, probably not, would not be able to breach confidentiality. But if the child is expressing ideation that is violent, then absolutely, that's when you would break, you could break that confidentiality and still be within your ethical boundaries. So I think we are going to be looking towards um, certified and licensed counselors and psychologists to really stand strong on their standards for their profession. And I think that they will. And those standards have been upheld across professions. Obviously, lawyers have similar standards and those are going to be really important. There's The courts are not going to go after those standards. So I think if the counselors say, no, absolutely not, I can't share any of this information, they probably will win on that argument. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think you. it puts them in a precarious position because, I mean, I think so many jobs are going to be on the line um, when we're talking about these kinds of discussions about systemic racism and sexism and white privilege and male privilege and all of this and, the, you know, having these discussions in the classroom among teachers. I mean, I think everyone's going to be afraid to talk about anything. I mean, the fear in these states is going to be it just incredible. And people are going to be afraid that they're going to get turned in, that they're that each person is going to turn the other person in. Do you know what I mean? No one's going to have trust and no one's going to be able to feel comfortable talking about anything because you're not going to know, you know, who's who and what's what and how, you know, how are we going to navigate this? I mean, we're lucky in New York State that this is not occurring, but it, it is occurring very quickly across our country. And it seems that there's only a small amount, like like around 19 states that are not getting involved in this. The rest of them are to some degree. And that is scary, especially with an election looming ahead in in two years, which is nothing, okay? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they've done some really insidious things with this law. And also we saw a similar structure in the Texas abortion ban where they create enforcement mechanisms that are really problematic. So you mentioned before that the school has to put the bill if somebody sues them. Um, In Texas, they sort of deputized anyone to like call in a report and personally to sue someone else for having an abortion because it harms them. It's just, it's a level of like person against person that we haven't seen before, even in legislation like this. And of course, here's the irony. Florida doesn't have that many school counselors. They're one of the worst states in the country. They don't even have school counselors. So to your point that like school counselors are going to lose their jobs, they absolutely are looking for ways to cut school counselors. The the, uh, national standard ratio for counselors to students, the like recommended ratio is 250 to one. And Florida's is something like 500 to one. Like they're literally one of the worst states when it comes to that ratio. So they already don't have any counselors and now they're making it harder to be a counselor. And now people are going to be coming after their counselors. So I, I, there's no level of this that I would say is a conspiracy theory. Like they are going after counseling as a concept. They are trying to remove funding from schools for these kind of services. That's a hundred percent. And that at the end of the line is the dismantling of public education conceptually. I mean, that's definitely the goal. It has been an expressed goal for many years and they're coming after it in, with every tool that they have. So I think it's all part of the same, it's all part of the same um, goal. And if they tried it in a state where they actually had a lot of counselors, they would have bigger opposition. They'd have counselors opposing this, professionals. Um, but in Florida, they have so few that it's like much easier for them to get away with this. Yeah. And you'd also have the unions, the, the, the states with very strong teachers unions opposing it as well. Not just not just the people who are counselors, I assure right. you. Mm-hmm. I've just been thinking about how dangerous a lot of this is overall. I mean, um, Joanna, you touched on something that it is that I was going to bring up. Um, we're coming to a point in time where it is that um, I spoke about the that pendulum of progress of how it is that in a lot of ways, you know, as the country is moving forward and then as we come backwards, we want to make sure we don't go too far back or we don't we don't start where it is that we were before. We have, you know, we have a new past, uh, you know, a new point of origin. Um, I look at this a lot as almost like um, regionalized or state um, 
segregation of education, right? Because think about all of the different places where it is that laws like this would be enacted and put in place. What is it that students are going to be learning in the future? We're going to be and we're going to be forming a society where it is that choice as you know there's, there's you have no choice in terms of what it is that you could do to, to your body. You have no choice in terms of what it is that you can learn. Over here you're going to learn this over here that you're going to learn that. And so from a political standpoint, if you're able to um, basically frame the, the belief systems of, of what it is that people are going to, uh, of how people are going to be as they, as they grow up and as, get, as they get educated, you're now creating um, you know, a, you know, a society that, that continues the trend that we're going on, which is that of divisiveness. Um, that, that this is, these, are, these are all tools that not just are going to impact the educational system, um, that's, going to be the, that's going to be the most devastating piece because as we know, we educate our, our youth so that they can be productive members of society. Um, you know, so that we can, the, the attack is almost kind of like on, you know, rational democracy or rational uh, thinking for, you know, the, the democratic process. So all of those things are being attacked, um, starting in the public schools, as, we are, as we're talking about, but how that filters out into society as a whole and what are we looking at um, if there isn't um, a fight against um, all of these different pieces that are happening. Because if you're thinking about all of these things in isolation, it sounds like the past to me. It is, it's Germany in the 1930s, the same, the same tactics. And to make sure that the enemy is a professional, mm. this distrust of the professions and of people who are has spent many years becoming experts in their field, that's the enemy. That's who you want to go after. The scientist, the doctor, the teacher, the principal, um, you know, there's a big movement and this is right in our backyard in New York. I'm sure you've seen this for people to run for school board and the, and sort of take the school boards and move them in this more restrictive direction. Um, and a lot of the rhetoric around that is like, take it back from people who think they know what they're doing. You know what you're doing, you know what's best. And to some degree, sure, anyone can run for school board, but you do have to know that there are federal laws that you're now responsible for enforcing. You can't just say, I don't like them. If you're on the school board, you have to enforce Title IX, you have to enforce Title VI, you have to enforce anti-discrimination laws. Um, and there's this huge disdain for that, for any type of expertise or professional background that's part of the narrative here. Jo Joanna, maybe I could uh, ask you this question too. Um, there's another law in Florida. It's not just the parental rights law. There's this um, Stop the Wrongs to Our Kids and Employees Act, which has uh, been given the name of the Woke Act. And um, that says that a teacher cannot teach any concept any concept at all that could make a student feel guilt or anguish because of their race or sex. So of course, as a history teacher myself, I wanted to ask you this, how are teachers protected by an organization like the ACLU? If I'm teaching, how do I teach the civil war and reconstruction and the poll taxes and literacy tests and Jim Crow laws and all of that without, uh, I, I'm not impo imposing upon a white person to feel guilt about that, but I'm going to teach that it was initiated, these laws, by white folks and white politicians. How do I teach without the fear of being fired or losing my tenure? Does, do, do I have a First Amendment right that, that supersedes a law like this Florida law. That's what I'm asking you. How are we protected teachers? These laws are, are in litigation right now in some other states. I know um, people are challenging them in other states. Um, the, the challenge that we have in this area is there is no Supreme Court precedent that establishes a right of academic freedom in the K-12 context. So there's very strong academic freedom law at the secondary, uh, post-secondary context. So college professors have a lot of protections, but in the K to 12 context, there's actually not a legal recognition of an academic freedom right on the 
part of educators. It's an area where lawyers like myself have wanted to develop the law, meaning we want, we're looking for test cases to get judges to create that right. Um, and these, law, these laws that are being passed, unfortunately, are not presenting very good test cases because they're happening in states where we don't have very good judges. So it, it's really hard to like, to get it there. The closest thing we have is actually a New York case called Island Trees v. Pico. So for those of you in Long Island, you know the yes, Island Trees yes, School District. Yes, yes, yes. So this case is actually an ACLU of New York case um, and where the Supreme Court said the school board can't um, censor books out of the school library, can't remove books um, solely on the basis that they disagree with their content. So it sounds great, but it's also really hard to interpret. Like, what does that mean? Like what, okay, if it can't be because you disagree with the content, content that implies that there is some way that you can make those decisions. And the court actually grapples with this. If you read the decision, they're like, but the school board does have to choose which books to buy. Like they don't have an infinite budget. They, they can't buy every book in the world. So how do they choose? And it can't be based on their orthodoxy or their belief system. So it's a little bit of a precarious precedent, to be honest. And we see we are seeing a lot of book bans um, in New York, even like all over the place, um, books being removed from school shelves. And it's honestly legally a little bit of a gray area how much what the school districts can do. Now it's very clear they can't just pull a book because they think this book talks about gay people and we don't believe in that. That is the one thing that the Island Trees case tells us. But beyond that, it gets it's very muddy and it's really hard to know exactly how. Um, how that case would be interpreted now and what a judge would decide about it and um, how we could use that case and that precedent to move forward and expand the idea of academic freedom for K to 12 educators. But I, I want to be clear. Um, oh. Yeah, go ahead, Lori. I'm just curious how, how that impacts what's going, you know, it's happening across the country, like in Texas, right? Where they just banned, you know, they, they went, came down to three books that are totally banned, but they were, you know, ready to ban like a whole bunch that had anything to do with, you know, um, LGBTQ, especially transgender. Like that seems to be like a very big buzzword right now for this, you know, this, this movement in terms of really going after transgender and, you know, black and indigenous people of color, you know, all of this seems to be the focus. Um, is that what you were going to talk about to me? Well, I, um, I was going to uh, bring that up as well, but I, I just want to make it clear to those who are listening then that Joanna, what you're saying is that an educator who teaches in, uh, in, a, in a K through 12 setting is currently not really protected from these laws. I think I would say they're less protected than a college level professor, but not that they're not protected at all, but it's not clear exactly how, um, how far that protection would extend. Now you're protected by a lot of other things, particularly in New York, right? You have a union contract, you have tenure. The, we are a state where educators are, are somewhat better positioned. Also indem indemnified too in New York state. Exactly. By the district. So that makes a big difference. Yes, that's huge. Um, so we're in a slightly better position, but certainly teachers in other states, this is, you went right to the heart of the issue. Like there actually is no way to teach your lesson without feeling like you might get fired. That's the point. Um, the, the point of the overbreadth and the vagueness written into these statutes is you won't be able to make your, use your judgment to decide what's safe and what's not, that you just won't teach it at all. And how you teach any history at all in that circumstance is, completely impossible and that's by design. Yes, but in, in New York State, the history curriculum, uh, the period of reconstruction and Jim Crow laws and the literacy uh, tests and poll tax is in the curriculum. <laughs> uh, so it, that it seems to me, ultimately the power is going to be with state legislatures who create the curricula for, for the state. I mean, because if it's in the curriculum and it's tested on the Regents exam in the American history course, the teacher has to teach it. Well, Carol, the, um, the Florida law states that of course the Civil War is taught, of course reconstruction is taught, but it has to be taught in such a way, their law says, that no one feels guilt or anguish. Okay. This is so exactly what Joanna has, has, has 
talked about um, often tonight uh, is about how that's so vague. And, and who, how do we define what a person, you know, what is a, a one person feeling anguish and another person not feeling anguish? You know, so this is uh, incredibly difficult for teachers. And um, uh, any of the teachers here want to address yeah, something? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 just really quick, I'm, history should I'm be, it should, it should <laughs> be, uh, history should be uncomfortable. For some, sometimes it is. Oh, I agree. We, yeah. have done, we've done bad things. Exactly. And, and you know what? It, it's uncomfortable and, and that's okay. And that's how we learn and grow as a society to look back and say, oh, you know what? This was bad. And, and you know, that, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't understand why we have this drive from parents to say kids should never be uh, made to feel okay. uncomfortable. I just, I don't understand that at all. Well, this is Tyson. Yeah, what were you going to say? No, uh, what's disturbing me is uncomfortable for whom? What about the mm -hmm. current history that it is that's being taught? I'm sitting here the whole that's entire right. time and I'm saying woke and not making individuals feel uncomfortable about what they learn. I'm sorry, but there are some people who have learned <laughs> their entire lives that the only parts that they've played in the society has either been stereotyped that they've been enslaved or yes. they enslaved or that their existence is a sin or something or, or something to that to that to that effect. So I don't understand how it is that you can have a, a bill, something that is waiting to, to become eventually, hopefully not, a law that, that actually states that you can't teach something that is going to make someone feel a certain way. That means we can't teach anything. Mm, right. So we get to teach math and then that's pretty much it. So I think that makes a teacher's life easy because if math is all it is, then that's what we just need to be math specialists because we won't be able to teach anything else at all. We can't teach science. We probably can't teach a different language because somebody might get offended because they don't understand what, some, what, what you're saying. So we're done. <laughs> See, the quadratic formula makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> but, but, you know, no, Keith, even, even math, I mean, if what if mm -hmm. a math teacher decides to talk about the contributions of people to color, of people of color in Thank mathematics you. that have been disregarded for centuries, you know, then that might be a problem. So we bring up the turning machine. We'll be contracted yeah. daycare. <laughs> we'll just <laughs> monitor kids while their parents are at work. I mean that. I mean you can't. You can't do. You can't even. You can't even educate from that premise alone because every single time that it is that you're teaching a topic, um, you never know who it is that's that that's going to have uh, an inverse right. impact on. Right. And so you know, what do we do with what we teach now? That right. that's what I'm saying. Like I, I don't. I I just don't. It goes back to what you said before, Nakia, where you talked about the divisiveness of it. So from one state to another, where you're not worried about offending maybe so much in New York, but you are in other states, now you're rewriting history and you're creating constituents as well. Hmm. So this is, is, is this what the goal is that there is that, you know, There'll be blue states and red states and blue states will learn things that are different than red states and we'll be in this perpetual battle over what is actually truth mm. and, you know, and, and, uh, and us and them mentality all the time. Mm -hmm. you, know, but, that's, well, I can, you know, but I can see going what you're saying, Karen, like in Florida, I can see some Florida lawyer arguing that isn't the, uh, you know, prevention of, of, people feeling anguish, the basis of laws against hate speech. It's, just, but like, it's just not the same. Like we have laws for screaming fire in a theater. I know, I know, but like, <laughs> I just saying we shouldn't even give them the ground. Like, I don't, here, I, I, especially a lot of it this, with this stuff is just, is done. it's so clear. It's done. So, you know, it, it's in the past, it's done. We're supposed to learn from it so that we don't repeat it. That's, that's the point of, you know, teaching history you learn so you don't repeat if in the learning of that you internalize it so badly that you feel guilt over it i mean i've i've taught like i said i've taught everything from one to five and you present the facts that's right. it where my guilt is or or where your guilt should be in that we were not a part of that we're we're our place in learning this is so that we don't bring it forward. 
not that we feel guilt over it. We can, we can feel badly over what happened. We can feel guilt over, you know, the, the treatment of people or, you know, and, and the horrible treatment of people. So you can have feeling over that, but why, why are we internalizing that? Why are we, inter why do I feel, you know what I mean? Why do you feel so guilty over that? It's, you know, that it's, it's affecting you. You're to learn from it. You're not, and, and the, the feeling that you get from it should be, I would never want this to happen to anyone else again. This was wrong in the context and I wanna learn from it and I don't wanna bring it forward and make it ever happen again. Mm -hmm. But the idea that it makes people uncomfortable or we can't teach it because it makes them uncomfortable why, they don't why know is it, it bad? Yeah, no, if they don't know it was bad, they're going to feel like, oh, well, nothing was wrong with that. Then if everybody's skirting around those issues and we, we teach these facts, like we once did this, we don't do it anymore and we move yeah. on. <laughs> they're not going to understand that it was devastating, that it was a, a horrible thing and that people have been suffering generations from those actions. So that the point is almost like, yeah, they don't, don't feel guilty. So it's not, it wasn't a big deal because there are people who want them to feel it's okay to hate. That's where I come back to all the time. It's okay. Whatever these issues are, whether it is, you know, color or sex or whatever, it comes back to, we hated these people. This is how we treated them. And when we're telling you that this is what happened, you feel bad. But if you're being now told, don't feel bad, it, it wasn't, you know, there's no guilt in, in what happened. You're going to make it seem like it was okay. And it's impossible for people to grow and learn if they don't kind of exist in a little bit of discomfort. <laughs> I think, I think they're using the, 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 the fact that, that the whole thing of being guilty, you know, it's, it's, it's totally false as, as we're saying it, it has nothing to do. It has no place in the history, in the teaching of history or anything, but they're using that to say, well, we don't want our kids to feel guilty. We don't have to feel guilty. That's, the, that's all that is. Um, I mean, I, I'm listening to this and, um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm thinking, and maybe this is for the, the whole next, um, session that we have, I mean, in, it, because in, in my eyes, I'm going like, well, what, what, do, you know, what do we do about it? Like, what, what, what are we going to do? It, it seems like we're just like, even Joanna, it sounds like you're at this point in life, like just fighting against the bad, you know, and where, where is the, 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 the people that are, you know, just being able to do the good, you know, then everybody's just fighting against the bad. That's what worries me the most, because I'm thinking about when I was in my classroom and I would say that probably, you know, I 75% of what came out of my mouth, I probably would be concerned about now. So, you know, are there, are there still teachers out there? I know you're saying in New York, it's, it, it's somewhat better, but it's coming to the point where everybody is worried about it. And um, uh, it, when I was teaching was always, what good can I do? What good, what, how can I make the, it even better than it is? How can I take the, how can I take children and, you know, teach them to, to care about everybody and not see differences? And, you know, with, with little children, that's what you want to do. And I just, it just, it's so disturbing to think that we're just, you know, fighting against a bad tide, you know, and it's, a, it's sitting heavy over my head. You know, Roxy, you're right, but here's the thing that we have to understand. They're pushing this agenda, creating these sound bites to put forth so that it gets traction across the country, okay? And that people can start to say, oh, wait, because it started maybe with, one, with some people in Florida who felt bad about their families owning slaves, right? And then it's like, but I feel, but I feel bad about this now. And they jump on this. They jump on this when you have conservative conservative groups like the Heritage Foundation, right, who are working diligently to shape what is going on, not only in the schools, but also in our judiciary. This is a very big problem. OK, the this is the problem. And like we we have to look at what is happening because it's insidious. It's insidious what's happening across the country in terms of judge be, judges being placed. And this is going to affect how these laws, you know, get passed. And when it, when it is brought before court, what's going to happen, right? Because they're, they're sitting there, they're 
they're in place and we don't really understand all of that, but this is what they do. They create this, this line of thinking and talk that becomes like, right. Like when we said before, we talk about what the, uh, what the bill is actually called in Florida and we're not going to say it because we don't want to, you know, continue that conversation. We want to change the conversation and that's what we have to focus on changing the conversation and educating people. That's what we hope, what we're trying to do with this, with this conversation to get the word out so people can hear, you know, what is going on? What is real? What is, you know, what is it? Make up your own mind. That's the whole point of educating our students, right? People, you know? Well, I think, I think there's a lot of potential power in unions, in the teachers' unions. I really do. And I, and I think that, you know, the, need to political, stand up. the political, right. uh, you know, politically, the people who are elected are going to have uh, the final say in these things and what what ends up in state curriculum or whatever. And I think this is a time for teachers unions to use the power they have to elect the right people uh, so that we can move away from these very, very negative paths that uh, groups are trying to put us on. I think it's important I, to understand that this is like a bipartisan hollowing out of our institutions, though. It's not just like, oh, these conservative astroturf groups, because they are, they are, those are like the vanguard of creating these laws to divest all of our public education. But there are plenty of rich liberals that want all their kids to go to charter schools. And this, if, and there, there's a reason why a lot of the media is like, oh, it's the don't say gay bill. Well, what about all the other mental health stuff in there, right? And it's like, well, a lot of those liberals are tacitly, a lot of corporate Democrats are tacitly okay with a lot of the stuff in that bill. And so it's, it's important. Yeah, no, it is like the, the, you know, the families on the crown that care. It's the teachers unions and stuff like that. People that aren't accountable to like uh, the textbook companies or different schools that feel like, are couched in their own. They might address gay stuff, but then they never talk about a single class issue or any race issues or something like that. And so, uh, you know, I mean, I'll go around Cold Spring Harbor and I see plenty of it, right? Where I see one like one uh, colored flag, and then like uh, the entire community is like ninety percent white. And it's like, yeah, they they they're talking about redlining totally in the legacy after. No, they're not. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's important to not try to think, oh this politician or this political party has a set out agenda to like save our schools. It's like, no, it's your individual community and it's your teach local teachers union. And that's where a lot of the power does reside. It's with us. And it's only if we, you know, band together and stop these, you know, invading groups to that, that, that seek to just defund all our public institutions. Well, I'll, I think our largest nonprofit businesses are is public education, right? So, there's there are bottom lines to to all of those things and you know to be able to to be able to have the these individual school districts be a reflect be a reflection of the political ideologies that might exist in a given community um that is that is part of what it is that we that that we're fighting um as as a as a as a union um as a collect as a collective there are certain things that are that are not part of that are not part of what it is that we do. Politics has no place in public education. Religion is not supposed to have any place in public education. But as you can see, these uh, you know these two institutions are are making their way back into it um, using you know you know using critical race theory and you know anti diversity equity and, and inclusion and all of those other things. So, uh, you know, masking what your, what your true purpose is and, and using, and I guess like we've been saying before, weaponizing um, all of the things that we, we don't want to mention <laughs> because we don't want to give it any more traction. Um, I, I think that's what becomes more, more of the concern, but we do have the, the power to speak up. The only problem is, is that not, not all public schools have the luxury of unions, as we were saying before. Um, you have your areas in, in, in Florida. Um, I don't know, I don't, South Carolina might be another one of those too. I think my aunt, she, she retired from uh, South Carolina. So all of those places where it is that you are void of unions, that's one less advocate that it is that we have in trying to, you know, um, try to fight what it is that's going on right now. You know what I think another big problem is, um, and I, I might've mentioned this last time too, 
is that <clears throat> all these issues now are being used as wedge devices to split communities. So you can't, I don't want to say you can't, it's harder to organize people around the issues because we're so divided. And the one thing, uh, Cindy, and, and you brought up this, like, what are we going to do? Um, the problem is, is that I feel as though the organizations that are pushing these very hostile agendas are out organizing us right now. And I've said this in many forums, they're just doing a better job of getting their message out there. They're doing a better job of staying on message and organizing people who agree with them. And I even said this in, to union leaders, they're, do a, they're doing a better job of organizing than we're doing. And look, even in this democratic race and on, uh, for, for um, governor of New York state, the Republicans basically stay on message. But the Democrats don't. And I feel that they're even fighting each other. Like we have, you know, I, I heard an advertisement from one of the candidates who wants to be governor of New York State, a Democrat saying that he's going to do away with bail reform. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, are you a Republican or are you a Democrat? Whereas the, <laughs> whereas the Republicans would never do things like that. Or the conservative uh, uh, agenda would not, they don't infight as much as our end of the spectrum is infighting against certain issues. And I, I think that's gonna be a big problem for combating. We have to all get on the same page and agree that, look, you, know, you might not be as, as passionate about diversity and inclusion as I am. Maybe you're concerned, but you know what? We agree on these various issues. So let's stick together. Let's do the good fight. But it's, it's um, the other side is just doing so much better right now. I think Kerry, they're, we're trying to organize and their goal is to disorganize. Yes. And they, that's what they're doing to us. They're literally breaking us apart, you know, yeah. breaking our united front apart with these little hot button things. And I'm so angry about masks and I'm so angry about vaccinations and I'm so angry about that they're disorganizing us. And that's part of the biggest part of it. That's the problem. Democrats well, are playing fair. There's, they're not too bright from, from where it is that I stand. I mean, when you when you have a when you have a group that is willing to, you know, blindly follow one train of thought, regardless of whatever any what it doesn't matter what anything says, it doesn't matter what the science says, it doesn't matter what it doesn't matter what the election results say, that you're willing to follow, you know, without hesitation while we're still here or you know, some Democrats are still here waiting for this bipartisan um, you know, kumbaya that's really not going to happen. We can't even agree amongst ourselves. No. They've agreed to just say, you know what, we're gonna follow this and we're gonna ride it all the way to the end. We need to, we need to pick something um, you know, as, as organizations in the fight for, for all of the things that it is that we're talking about and say, this is what it is that we're gonna do and we're gonna do it together because the other group has no problem doing it and they're being successful. Um, even if that populist minority, which is, you know, it's kind of a large minority, um, they're the ones with the, with the biggest voices. Uh, and, what are we, and what are we doing to combat that? We, we have to get on the same page. Well, you know, the, the Democratic Party is inclusionary and uh, the people we're fighting are exclusionary. Uh, they, uh, it's easy to have one message when one message is what you're all about. There can't be any, there can't be any diversity of opinion. And that's how, why autocracy often defeats democracy. It's a struggle. I think that um, what, it, what, what, what moves me about this conversation too uh, is that ultimately we are a republic and that we are based upon the concept of freedom to have discourse, freedom to discuss, freedom to allow for differing opinions, and then we come to some sort of consensus for the, for the good of the whole. And we have lost sight of that. For all of this discussion we're having, we have lost sight of that. And of course, that is what we are concerned about as attentive teachers. We are all attentive teachers here. And, uh, we continue the conversation because it is imperative that we address this and that we get our message out to the nation that this divisiveness 
is deadly for us as a nation. It is deadly for us as a nation. So on that note, I'd like to thank you all for being here to be part of this very brave, difficult, but important conversation and hope that those who are listening will reach out to us uh, at our website or at uh, info at attentiveteaching.com. We are on Facebook and we are on Instagram and you will see this Zoom in its entirety if you want to zoom in on some of the key ideas we've spoken about today. But we will be back with additional conversations that uh, deal with this topic of CRT and uh, individual rights and legislation that is, is hurting us as a republic. So I thank you so much for being here. Thank you to all of our guests. And yeah, we hope thank you to join us again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Well, peace thank to everybody. <laughs>